Welcome to Nerds of Their Own Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Dwayne. I'm Sammy. And I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> but listeners, as you can tell, if, as you download this episode, that is not James Caan in his spiked helmet and fist on the episode artwork. Um, we've got a, a family-friendly ethos we try to uh, stick to on this, <laughs> this, this year podcast. Um, I had forgotten a couple of scenes from Rollerball. <laughs> Uh, I was, I had misremembered how violent it was, and then there's other stuff that I'd completely forgotten. And so we had to really hurriedly, <laughs> with panic in my heart, pick something else. <laughs> and so I picked a thing I was sure everyone had already seen, was very familiar with, and we could hurry up and do on the fly. And so I picked Sherlock, the very first episode, A Study in Pink. Uh, and then I learned that I was wrong. <laughs> Now, this is 2010 Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. And apparently the thing that it was was missed by me. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the mid-70s uh, anti-hero grit and grime of the rollerball verse it was a little too much. So we uh, kind of done a juke move, as is said there. And uh, this was an interesting episode. This was an interesting episode. I, I had never, I, I knew that it existed. I knew Cumberbatch played Sherlock. I knew Freeman played Cum, uh, uh, Watson. I had no other Id- earthly idea about this. And it's, it was, it was interesting. It was a worldwide phenomenon. Minus one. <laughs> <laughs> minus one. And that was me. But guys, I think, Back to the format here. We probably need to let some people know what we've been getting into, aside from Sherlock, with our Keeping It 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. And as you can tell by the fact that we are not doing any news, um, we like our old format better. And so, so we're keeping it 100. <laughs> and i have the privilege navy honor um i'm stalling as i set up my timer um okay so i'm going first and i've got a weird one it's a podcast called shipworm um once it doesn't make sense to listen to it um but it's advertised as an audio movie um, which doesn't make any sense at all. That's they're trying to be fancy. It's an audio drama. That's all it is. Um, <laughs> it's a pretentious audio drama. Um, but it's a the the idea is to to capture the feel of a of a feature film, but to do it all in audio. And so there's um, the voice. There's a lot of like every character. It's not just one narrator. There's you know every character has got a different voice performer. Um, there's I mean there's lots of like. Uh, uh, I think it's called Foley effects. Like there's sound effects all through the thing. Like it, it, it really feels like you're listening to a movie. Um, and it's a really tense thriller. Um, it actually would be a good movie. I mean, I would, I, I would watch. Um, it's a really twisty story that leaves you guessing. There's, I mean, it's, it's really surprising. Um, you know, plot things that happen plot wise, really, really surprising. Um, it's two hours long. Part of that, you know, <laughs> audio movie thing they've got going on um so my plan was to listen to it in two sittings i was gonna do you know the first hour and then you know catch this you know the second hour the next day um it was so gripping and so enthralling that i couldn't do it i listened to all two hours just straight through <laughs> my keeping 100 is shipworm shipworm interesting i love some good audio um storytelling and i know that you know sometimes your audio books audio drums and stuff kind of get short shift because you have like one or you know two or three people trying to do all their characters now you have wonderful phenomenal voice actors who can kind of pull it off but there's still a lot of similarity in voices that can get confusing and a lot of times the music and sound effects is just repurposed from other things and they can sound kind of cheap and jakey, but I'm glad that, that these guys are actually bringing some quality and diversity into your audio uh, storytelling there. It's really exciting for the for the genre. 
Can I steal a few extra seconds? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you listen to it now. I know how to do this. Okay. So the opening scene is uh, the main character wakes up with a voice speaking to him in his head, and it says, "You know, you're not crazy. We implanted a chip in your head, and you're gonna do everything we tell you to do for the next 24 hours, or we're gonna gut your family like fish." And nice. Hours in school. Interesting. Well, that's pretty cool. And, you know, it's neat that they use that as a narration tool because it's so difficult even with, with the non-visual to let people know what's going on around, you know, because you get so much for granted just as you can see without saying, oh, now I'm turning the doorknob and walking down the hallway, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really right. – that's a really it, neat twist on how to do that. It, but it's so twisty and turning. Yeah. But that like, I was – as soon as, like, as soon as they started, like, playing, like, you're going to do everything we tell you for the next 24 hours. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> well that sounds really really cool well, that shipworm okay we'll look that up and I well, promise that'll eventually make sense <laughs> <laughs> well um, I'm up next with one that hopefully uh, is uh, makes me sound as smart as the guys who created shipworm because this is kind of a storytelling epic um, sapiens a Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. And this takes the human species from the very inceptions of, you know, coming off the African plains, uh, going, you know, through the the Neanderthals and the Homo sapiens and where we are today and how society and religion and agriculture and hunting and gathering and all of that has through time has developed us into the species we are today. And I know like with Cosmos, you look at Carl Sagan, you know, we're just a brief blip on the cosmic calendar. You know, this last few milliseconds of the last second of, of the year, if, if you lay out time that way. But, you know, you, they talk about you know, almost this like 300,000 year history of rec records of, you know, some type of humanoid type of creature being on the planet and how we've grown in society and storytelling and organization uh, through, you know, the, the small people groups to larger villages and towns and even cities and how those are governed and how you can only, you know, govern so many people before you have to start bringing in different types of things and how our brains developed to make that imagination to be able to work that way and all these concepts and stuff. So sapiens a brief history of humankind very interesting book i added my overdrive as you were talking yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely sounds like an interesting one you know and, and i think the if they approach it from almost like an anthropological standpoint where you talk about kind of the development of civilization and how going from hunters and gatherers through that more civilized, you know, kind of social system, you know, that, that would be interesting. I think. Yeah. I'm still relatively early in the book, but it is making such a big impact in, and how you think about things and how we develop because they're now they're even talking about how like the development of fire made it so much easier for us to eat and digest our food that, you know, our intestines changed for us to even be able to, you know, have a bigger brain, you know, you, we didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to spend five, six hours a day chewing, you know, because we could, you know, make things more edible and, and we didn't have to, such a hard time digesting it and we could devote more time to, to thought and social structure. Yeah. It was very, very interesting. Well, I feel like having seen Encino Man, I'm prepared to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, you're up. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and start my timer. Uh, so I've got a new podcast on my catcher. Uh, TNG alum and choreographer Gates McFadden has joined the podcast ranks. Um, and she's interviewing her Trek family. The show is Gates McFadden Investigates. Yeah, get it? Um but interesting enough, that's really <laughs> as far. Yeah, I see that. Um, <laughs> interesting enough that that's about as far as the track goes. Um, she really focuses on the lives and careers of the actors. It's so conversational. Uh, it's just a great interview style. 
Uh, episode one drop, and of course, episode one is number one himself, um, Commander William Riker, Jonathan Frakes. So perfect kind of connection there, I thought. Uh, they talk a lot about his family history, his love of jazz, his very hilarious connection to Christopher Reeve, which I thought was, was kind of an interesting story. But uh, this is a podcast that drops on Wednesdays. And honestly, I look forward to seeing who Gates will investigate next. And that's my keeping it 100. We should warn her, though. You can be too clever with your podcast title. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Careful with the spelling, Miss Gates. (laughs) Of course, I'm looking forward to uh, Brent Spiner myself, but I want to hear some from Data. I would have tried to get LeVar Burton or Patrick Stewart right out of the gate. (laughs) (laughs) Get some attention. Yeah. Not not that, you know, Rockers, any, you know, small freaks, but. (laughs) But but it's it's an interesting show. Come on, where's the wah-wah sound? That was bad. (laughs) 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 It's what you call post-production. Okay. Well, speaking of production, let's uh, go ahead and jump into some opening thoughts and grades here. And, oh, joy, I go first. Um, I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Well, there are thoughts. I do have thoughts about this. And really, my biggest thought is I need more. I need more of this. I had no clue uh, what I was going into with this. I knew Sherlock Holmes Watson. I'm familiar with the stories. I've read them a long, long time ago. It's been so long since I've read them. And I was expecting, I did absolutely no research before I pressed play. I found it on Netflix and pressed play. Nothing else. And then I see this modern London. And these modern things happening. And these modern people. And I'm like, you know, chicken's title. Yeah, that's Sherlock. Yeah, this is a study in pink. Okay. Yeah, that's the right cast. Okay. Let's watch this. So I was immediately kind of off kilter and even on my guard. Um, so I probably didn't give this thing a fair enough shake. And and I'm I'm gonna be upfront and honest. I probably didn't give this thing a fair enough shake for just being so taken and not knowing what to expect after that and trying to squeeze Sherlock that was in my head into 2010 with Doctor Strange and uh, <laughs> you know, the 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 British pilot from uh, Black Panther. I can't think of Freeman's name in that, but you know, essentially Dr. Strange and a Hobbit, um, <laughs> Dr. Strange and Bilbo there. Uh, but yeah, I, I really want to see more. I think uh, that they have a good potential and I really would like to see this again. I think they have a good potential with, uh, you know, where they're going to take this and I'm going to, I'm going to try to see what I can find out. But I, at first glance, not you know being kind of blindsided i want to give this a b a solid b it, it had me kind of on my toes but it kind of started winning me as it went along and then a couple things happened and i'm gonna get into that here in a little bit but a couple things happened and i was like oh no they didn't just do that but i i think i would really be a, i think i would really be a fan but right now it's 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 just middle b for me just a just a good solid b this thing was a sensation. I love you talking about having potential. Like, I like, like I have, and I, I honestly have no clue. I know, you know, apparently this was a huge thing. And, and even when I was like looking at the episode informations and stuff, I was like, oh, there's whole websites of fan pages to this, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I had, I had, and I have no clue, apparently. Oh, oh dude. And you know. haven't even got into the super hulock stuff. So <laughs> the fanfic when Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock all get together. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so I guess I, I, I'm going to run next. Um, 
So I'm going to have to admit, um, at first I was really depressed because I wanted to watch Rollerball because I wanted to make plenty of Flash Gordon references for Jamie. Um, but when Jamie did suggest Sherlock, I was totally in. Uh, this show checks so many of my little Anglophile boxes, um, and, and I was totally in. I'd watched the series before. Uh, I probably watched it through maybe three times. So because they're they're you know only twelve episodes, but you know it doesn't take long. So first of all, it's Sherlock and Doctor Watson. So I'm in, and we've we've talked about you know we all have a love of these characters. Um, but this show has another little special place. This was co-created and written by Stephen Moffat. And Stephen Moffat was the showrunner for Doctor Who from series five to series 10. So he was the showrunner during the entire Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi eras. Um, on top of that, you've got the other co-creator as Mark Gatiss, who also is a Doctor Who writer, actor, author from even back in the wilderness years of the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, both of these guys are huge Doctor Who fans. They're huge Sherlock fans and even did Dracula that we talked about probably last year at some point. Uh, they also work together to do that Dracula miniseries. Um, I'm going to be honest. This version of Sherlock is probably my favorite of the Holmes characters. I'll be really honest. Um Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce were always my favorites. There was just something about them. But, you know, Cumberbatch and Freeman took the number one spot for me. Uh, so I've got to go A+. Plus. I know it, it's not, you know, I, I'm, I know I'm not being too original here for me, but I got to go A+. Plus. Well, the Sh Shipworm has a connection for me to Sherlock. So that part of the reason I was Shipworm, because I had the, the very same experience. when I. When I finished the first episode of Sherlock, I was like, "Well, I'm watching all of these. Every how many they've made, I'm, I'll watch them all." And every, I think, I, I think when I watched the first episode, the first two seasons were out. And every time a new season would come out, I would start at the beginning, and watch them all. Um, I, I love this show. Um, I don't think the quality maintains evenly all the way through. Um, they're not all home runs. Um, there's a couple of base hits and couple of deep foul balls. <laughs> uh, but this first one is an absolute home run, and it had me hooked. And it even had me um, sort of plowing through one or two episodes that I really didn't care for. Um, so I'm, so my grade specifically is for this episode. It's not for the entire run. Um, this episode's an A+. Plus. I mean, and we keep saying episode. It's, this is a movie. These movies, every, every episode is like over an hour and a half long. Well, that was another thing that confused me too, is because I'm like, okay, this was a series. You know, it's like a TV series. I know it's a British series. I know they have limited runs, but I was like, okay, whoa, hour and a half, hour 28, I think was what this one was. I was like, okay, this is a movie. Maybe it's just where it's the premiere. You know, maybe this is the first episode. Cause I didn't, like I said, I didn't even look at anything else. We just found this in press play. And I was like, well, maybe it was just where it was, you know, because I know some shows will have like a longer season premiere uh, or finale. But uh, I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. And nope. So they're all this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> if they didn't make four seasons, they made 12 movies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And really the depth of storytelling that you got in this, uh, you know, needed that time. Uh, you know, especially with the introduction of Holmes and Watson and their uh, in their interactions, they're uh, establishing them in this world. Um, I think that taking that time with this was a benefit, even though you still got a lot of, uh, you know, feet on the ground detective work, you know. And I think you maintain that all the way through because there's there's big picture plots that do carry through all through all the stories. Mm -hmm. But each but each movie is its own story itself. And they they do a really good job of balancing that because like this, I mean this the study in pink the 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 mystery of this episode is really strong. But they're setting up so much stuff in here, and they they do such a good job all the way through of balancing that you know walking that tightrope all through the whole mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. If it hadn't have been for that setup, I don't think I would have been a big a fan as I as I was of this. You know, like I said, I really, really want to see more. I'm just, you know, it was so like, oh, this universe is so different from what I was expecting, what I'm used to. It just kind of threw me. But I do definitely, I definitely, definitely want to see more. And, and I'm with Sammy. I think, I mean, there's been who knows how many, you know, home adaptations by, by this point. But this, this is my favorite as well. Um, yeah. Even though it's a modern update, it's still, I mean, it's, they, they got the core of who Sherlock Holmes is so well. Mm-hmm. And update. Yeah. Well, I know it's a modern London. And I know one thing they didn't have back in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's time was fans. And I'm sure that Freeman and Cumberbatch, you know, moving into 221 Baker Street seemed a little stuffy. So I'm sure I bet they're glad that they had some fans. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. And as we move into our fan section. It's the push out there of whatever uh, concoctions Holmes is cooking up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that, that kitchen table looked a little dangerous, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I want those and you know, and eyeballs in the microwave, but it's an experiment. But so, <laughs> all right. Um, but I'm going to lead us out on fans, guys. Um, and I think we've already kind of alluded to this. I love the fact that they've taken Holmes and Watson and they've put them into a modern context. That to me completely grabbed me right away, and that was a hook for me. Um, you know, Dwayne's right. I mean, we are so. I guess having our head this idea of the Victorian era where Holmes exists, but to take him out of that and to put him in a modern context, in a modern world, from the moment he's saying wrong on all the cell phones, um, you know, all the way through, I just, I love the way that uh, Moffat and Gatiss really kind of bring this character. And it's all the tenants that are still make Sherlock Sherlock. You know, Watson is still, you know, Watson, that that uh, Watson we recognize, but it's modern, it's up to date, it's such a cool spin on everything. Um, in typical fashion for Stephen Moffat, it's intelligent, intelligently written, it's fast paced. This is this is not just a generic sit back and, you know, kind of casually look at your phone occasionally. You're going to miss something if you do that. This isn't a passive watch. Uh, you've got to really and really kind of keep at it. Um, and like I said, this nudged out Basil Rathbone for me. You know, Hounds, Hound of the Baskervilles was always my favorite Holmes movie growing up. And this just totally blew it out of the water. Well, um, I'm glad I have a backup pan. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the cast because um, they nail everybody. With the exception of Anderson, I, it takes me a season to warm up to that guy. <laughs> I don't buy anybody liking him. <laughs> seems, like, seems like a man that should be completely friendless. But, um, but like, you know, Cumberbatch, I mean, I didn't know who these people were. Because, I mean, like I said, I, I got on board fairly early in the runtime, and I'm not the Anglophile that Sammy is, and so I didn't know who Cumberbatch was. You know, who's this Martin Freeman person? Um, but, they're all just perfect. Um, Cumberbatch has got that weird, you know, maybe a little bit on the spectrum, you know, sociopath thing going on. Just nails it. And when it's time for him to be clever, you completely buy it. When he, when he needs to be off-putting and antisocial, just nails it. Um, and, you know, Martin Freeman, as the guy who, you know, isn't what Holmes is, but still loves the game, needs to be in the action, just perfect. And it's not just him. Um, Mark Gatiss playing Mycroft is so good. Um, just everybody. Molly is great from the word go. 
Um, and I just, I'm so glad there's more of her as the, as the series goes on. And she wasn't just some little, you know, joke in the you know first episode. Um, but everybody's just spot on Lestrade. That guy is so good. And you can just, he, he does exasperation so well. <laughs> he perfects it. I mean, it's an art form by the end of him being exasperated with Holmes and Watson, but they just nailed it. I mean, every single person that shows up with maybe, you know, Anderson, not so much. But um, I warmed up to him eventually. It took three and a half seasons or whatever. But uh, everybody else is perfect. And it and that really helps because I'm kind of a Holmes purist. I like him set way back when. And so an update really has to do a lot of work, a lot of heavy lifting to win me over. And the cast helped. Um, you just you fall right into the story. Yeah, you know, Cumberbatch brings that that balance, right? He makes Sherlock sometimes somebody you're like, he is just the worst person on the planet. And then also you're going, wow, he's the smartest person on the planet. You know, and he goes back and forth and he delivers that, you know, so well, you know, and, and just you, you both love him and hate him through the whole thing, I think. <laughs> so. And I love the balance he does of the, the being incredibly insightful sometimes into people and their thinking and even sometimes like their emotional states. But other times he's so oblivious and just doesn't interact with other humans like like an actual human would. Right. Uh, that, that's another little balance that he does so well. Yeah, well, that's my fan really uh, is, the, is the cast. You know, the, the interaction, especially with, with Freeman and Cumberbatch, uh, they really seemed very natural um, together. You know, I know they weren't, you know, even friendly, you know, They've always had like a, a professional sort of relationship that wasn't, you know, it went beyond friendship, but, you know, they still had like each other's best interests at heart seemed to be, but it was such a different type of relationship in the meeting. You know, the, the meeting with Holmes and Watson was so interesting because you you really see how, how they each react and, and stand uh, in these awkward situations, you know. Because uh, Holmes just immediately right away, oh yeah, you know, the, if you want to check out the flat tomorrow, and he's like, how do you, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, the whole, the whole interaction there was was really, um, you know, eye opening, and and like you said, it really got that awkwardness of Holmes, you know, after the, you know, the 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 medical worker trying to come on to him and him not even getting it, but then he he notices every little other little thing, and he even notices that you know she she added or changed her lipstick, you know, at, at different times, you know, has no idea why she would do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, his his portrayal, you know, was very interesting. I love Freeman as an action character. He just seems like an earnest, honest guy, you know, and you can so much see him as the soldier, you know, the, the Watson soldier. Um. It was, I think, is a really important part to Walton's character. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that, that that Freeman does so well that doesn't always come across is the way they portray them as equals here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in the old, even in the original stories, and in a lot of the adaptations, he's kind of a sycophant. I mean, he's sort of a, a sidekick, you know, who's mm-hmm. like weird hero worship thing going on. And I don't get that vibe from Freeman at all. Like he respects and is you know amazed by you know Holmes's you know insights and his leaps in logic and all that kind of stuff. But he's definitely playing it more as an equal here and yeah. I, I, Martin Freeman that's another that's a balancing act for him too as, as well and he does it I mean he nails it yeah amazingly well yeah definitely definitely guys I know you talked about the kitchen earlier I surely wouldn't need anything out of those pans <laughs> Yep, we're definitely getting takeout after seeing that uh, mess right there as we go into our pan section here. Um, Especially with, the uh, with our show. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> don't, don't, don't even put the popcorn in there. <laughs> uh, well, I'm first on the pans, and um, I don't have anything major, but there is one little thing that annoys me to no end. Every time I see it, I roll my eyes and... <laughs> Just want to get mad at the creators. So the whole thing they're setting up here with 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 Watson is that his injury in this update it's all psychosomatic. Uh, there's nothing wrong with his leg. He's just messed up because he wants to be in the action, but can't admit it to himself. Well, all that kind of jazz. So they go to the restaurant, 
He leaves the cane down. The game is on. You know, you know, everything's afoot. They get up and they run off. And then they do this super close-up zoom on the cane to make sure we see the cane is sitting. I'm like, you don't trust us, do you? I'm like, he's literally running through the streets of London for 15 minutes, it feels like. We're going to pick up on the fact that he doesn't have the cane. Like, you know, we didn't need the zoom. Like, it's just, I'm like, it, I'm like it, it makes me just roll my eyes as frustrated. Like, they clearly didn't trust the audience yet. Because um, I, I don't feel like th- those, those kind of mistakes go away. Like, they, start, they, they, they learn to trust their audience more as time passes. Mm-hmm. They like, yeah, they don't, you don't think we're smart, do you? You don't, you don't think we can follow along here because it's this super close up lingering on that cane. I'm like, come on. We're not all idiots. <laughs> That's all yeah. I got. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that that, you know, that that goes away as this series goes on, that they learn to trust the audience because, you know, you, you have to have a level going into Sherlock. You know, hey, I want to know this. You know, it's like these people watching these crime dramas and stuff. You know, you, you're interested in this in the process. So you're going to notice, you're going to watch, you know. But uh, I'm glad that that's something that goes away. But my pan, I really, you know, just of being off put and settling into the thing, I really didn't have much of a pan. But, you know, at times it seems like nobody likes or trusts Sherlock at all, even though they're using him. And things, and you know that that was just kind of my thing. It's like nobody likes Sherlock, but they're still using him. They're still, you know, taking advantage of him. You know, and the uh, the Scotland Yard is considered. You know, they're portrayed as such doofs. You know, and he's like, he's like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know how. I need, I need him. I need, I need help here. I need. I'm so far over. You know, it's, it's, okay, really, you guys are, are the National Detective Agency here. You know, you're you're. This is what you do, but they but they're you're playing it, especially in this episode. And I hope that this goes away too. Even in this episode, they're playing it so beyond them that they can't solve a crime, and like they need him for every other crime almost. You know, unless unless you know they catch the guy red-handed, it's almost like they need Sherlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> I hope Scotland Yard and Lestrade uh, especially, you know, get a bit smarter as the series goes on. You know, and can and can function. And are more his equal, you know, and, and, you know, of course, you know, Sherlock has to be this amazing person because that's the character. That's what the story's about. But it just seemed like he was so much a lot years beyond everybody in this episode that they were just shoving it down your throat with how amazing he was. Um, you know, that was, that was my biggest complaint. You know, and, and it really made it kind of, made him kind of unlockable, even though Cumberbatch was switching back and forth between the jerk mm-hmm. and the nice guy and earnest and using people and not getting social cues and understanding everything that went on there in the room. You know, it was really kind of confusing. Um, you know, but like you said, you know, he's kind of plays, he was kind of playing that on the spectrum genius, you know, pathologic, you know, odd you know, savant. <laughs> yeah. And, you yeah. know, and, unfortunately, that's kind of the con- conceit of Sherlock Holmes sometimes. And I think that comes across in a lot of uh, portrayals. Uh, was it Johnny Lee Miller that was that played Sherlock Holmes in the elementary television show? Uh, he had that kind of aloofness, strange, quirky nature. Um, think about the way Downey Jr. played Sherlock. You know, once again, I mean, kind of playing that up. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's both likable and unlikable. He is his, yeah. he is his own dichotomy of character. You know, what, and, and I think that's interesting. What, Jamie? I said Downey's from that turn art form, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, with Tony Stark, yeah. Yeah, but going back, going back to your, your pan, I, <laughs> as I was watching this, I'd forgotten how buffoonish they were in the first episode. Yeah. And I, I had flashbacks. I was picturing... <laughs> Commissioner Gordon with the big red button and Lego Batman. <laughs> Sherlock, where are you? <laughs> oh. Well, you know, a lot of times when I give give something an A plus, sometimes it's it's tough to come up with a like a big pan for it, you know. So I've done this before and we've talked about this. I try to flip the script. What if you know, similar to what Dwayne talked about, had never watched this show, doesn't have a whole lot of background in it, and just kind of comes in. Uh, here's the first episode kind of deal. Um, 
Kendra watched the first episode and just could not get into this. She has still not watched the entire series. And I've tried every summer. Come on, let's just sit down and we'll just do this when we have time and just little by little. And I think what it is, is Moffat and Gatiss do not show all the cards up front. It, this show builds. And, and you know, Jamie has alluded to this also, that as it goes on, the characters do change. The characters do grow. And, and I think when you're dropped straight into this world, sometimes that you don't understand or you're not used to with Holmes, and now you've got to get used to trying to figure out these characters all over again, sometimes I think that can be distracting. And this these are very fast-paced. They don't give you a chance to catch your breath and kind of take stock of what's happening. And, and I think somebody coming in that maybe doesn't either a have the background or, or B really know a whole lot about the show or the character or, or even the creators, you know, it, it, they can get a little lost. And so I think that's kind of my pan is I don't know how inviting this is for a new audience type of thing. I, yeah. I mean, it, sorry, Dwayne. Um, it's a quick question. What, what do you all think about the Easter eggs? Um, because there's a lot of stuff like, you know, 221B Baker Street. How many people even know or care that that's the, the famous address? It's a right. thing, yeah. Yeah, or, or Mrs. Hudson or Lestrade. I mean, these are established characters. Do you, do you think that they establish them well enough in the show itself that you just roll with it? Or is somebody just coming in from the cold, would it, would it be an, an issue? What do you all think? Yeah, I think someone coming in from the you know coming in just into this cold would not get who these guys are or the importance of you know two twenty one Baker Street. Um, I don't think this first episode established anyone else aside from Sherlock and Watson. Right. Um, it just it, it, I mean it introduced him as like hey you know here's Lestrade, he's you know he's the bumbling director of Scotland Yard. You know, here's their their weird landlord. You know, uh, Mrs. Hudson, and <laughs> yeah, but you know, but like with us, you know, I, and, and it, like I said, it had been so long. I knew Lestrade's relationship with Holmes. You know that it was always strained, and it was always you know this back and forth with them, um, unconventionalness. You know, Lestrade's wanted to be by the numbers when Holmes is so unconventional. You know, they just don't mesh, and you know. The, the 221 Baker Street. I would love to have seen the trailer for this before I watched it. And I would love for that trailer to go like from a modern day London, you know, the double decker bus, cabbies down the street and then land on the 221 Baker Street. And then, you know, Cumberbatch and Watson walk out arguing on a cell phone, you know, one of them on a cell phone or something to establish you in this world, you know. I think that would be a really clever trailer because it, you know, it, it, the, the the double decker buses, the cars, the streets was going to establish a modern London. Then you're going to bam, two twenty one Baker Street. Oh, this is the homes, mm-hmm. you know. And then you see Sherlock and Watson, you know, interacting with modern technology in a modern setting, dressed modernly. Even Cumberbatch's wardrobe in this, you know, which is kind of on the Netflix thing, you know, he's he's got the the old style, you know, sailor's jacket with the collar flipped up and the scarf. So you you know he's he's got everything but the deer stalker cap, you know. He's he's missing that, you know. Uh, of course, the smoking's not a thing, you know, so you don't have the pop. But, yeah, I would have liked to, I, I think, you know, with this episode, it introduces Holmes and Watson brilliantly, but it leaves so much of the world out, um, you know, as far as introductions. And, of course, you know, that's something you want to get through the episodes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, it goes on, like I said, I can't speak to that, but hopefully you guys can. Hopefully, you know, those relationships develop and you see the importance of that as it goes, you know, the relationship with Hudson, the relationship with Mycroft and Molly and, and, and the other characters as they come along. Yeah, it definitely grows. And I agree. And with the exception of, of Sherlock and John, everybody else just feels like a stock character a little bit in this first episode. Yeah. Oh, here's the, you know, the deputy inspector. Here's the detective. Oh, here's here. the, you know, here's the other inspectors. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the jerk guy that on the police force everybody makes fun of. Here's, you know, uh, the the quirky landlady, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> I mean, so, exactly. but it, they, they do build as they go through. Good, good. I'm glad that's a thing. You want to go some awards? Let's do it. 
Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Dwayne, you're up first with base performance. Well, Cumberbatch was so over the top uh, in this, I had to give it to Martin Freeman um, as Watson. He really, he really brought me into this world and I kind of, you know, I kind of latched onto him as my end gate. Being the outsider brought into this, you know, detective work, being introduced to this weird uh, you know Sherlock, you know, trying to find his place in here after being jumbled up, you know, from from the war and things. Uh, he he really is our gate into, and I thought he was really well portrayed. I thought he was portrayed very likable, uh, very human, and you know, um, even even the flaws, you know, the uh, the. The thing with his limp, you know, the psychosomatic thing there, uh, the uh, not wanting to admit to himself that, you know, he he needs the action, you know, being traumatized from the war. You know, I thought he portrayed that very, very well. I I loved Freeman's performance in this. You know, I'm I'm, I'm with Dwayne on that. Um, Freeman is definitely my best performance also. Um, And part of that is, you know, and Jamie, you kind of talked about this earlier. Sometimes Watson is kind of portrayed as almost like a bumbling sidekick type mm-hmm. of character. And what I really love about this is, you know, Freeman, first of all, is a fantastic actor, but he also holds his own against Cumberbatch, who is also an amazing actor. So you've got to have that balance, that that equality in the relationship, you know, and Cumberbatch is so that this acerbic interpretation of Holmes. So you've got to have this real human version mm-hmm. of Watson. And if you think about it, it's kind of cool though, that, that Watson's your in because that's the stories. That's what they were originally. They were really they were, Watson's perspective. Yeah, yeah. They were Watson's perspective. He wrote down what happened, you know, so to have him as the, I guess the gateway for the audience worked so well. And it's that great nod back to the classic, mm-hmm. Arthur Conan Doyle books. Really clever storytelling, a really clever use of that as storytelling. You know, like you said, he was he was the narrator in the books essentially, mm-hmm. and he is our in in this series. Well, I, I agree. We're three for three on that one, and you stole every pseudo intelligent point I wanted to make. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I mean, I, I think Watson is the key to making a Holmes adaptation work. You have to get him, and they, and they kind of you know stand or fall, and Freeman kills it. Yeah. Yep. He definitely nails it. For sure. Definitely nails it. Best scene, Sam. All right. It took me a minute on this one because I kept going, what is really the best scene for me? Um, I went with that intense mental showdown between Sherlock and the cabbie. Um, so, so I, I'm really interested to see, see what Dwayne says on this, because I think he was talking something to this fact later. Um, but Holmes is an egotist and will always be an egotist. And for this guy to think he's smarter, you know, th- this cabbie thinks he's smarter than Sherlock Holmes. It was killing him. And Cumberbatch played that perfectly. And I think if it wasn't for John's intervention, we all know what was going to happen. Holmes would have taken that peel hands down. And you know, and I know the fact that he never figured out if he was right or not killed him. You know, it's probably would still running in that, that character's mind, you know, 12 episodes in, he's probably still going to the back of his hand. Was I right on that peel? But was I right on that peel? You know that that's the egotistical nature of Sherlock Holmes, and that scene to me was just so tense. And like I said, you knew the outcome if John had not intervened. Right. Dwayne, before you jump in and lambast it, uh, let me you go ahead. You go ahead. 
Because <laughs> I think the same scene. That's my fight to say in this show, and I can't wait to hear Dwayne tear it apart. Uh, <laughs> but, but what I love is it's the serious, dramatic version of the exact same scene versus <laughs> the CD and the man in black and the princess bride. <laughs> same scene, except, you know, serious. But it's but it's so tense, and I love that the that the killer in this is such an unassuming guy. Nothing about his dress, his mannerism, his diction, his speech. Nothing about him screams genius. But the way he manipulates Sherlock through all of that, you know, exactly playing on his weaknesses is so perfect, and it works so well. And now I want to hear why Dwayne didn't like that scene. Well, now I, I I did. That's that's probably my favorite scene. Um, you know, along with I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in an honorable mention here. Of, I loved Watson running. <laughs> I I loved Watson running after you know the whole you know he's limping around with his cane, but and then she's like I said, he just leaves it and just runs. Uh, that's that's you know those are two for my two favorite scenes. But now I did I loved this scene with uh, the cabbie and Sherlock interacting and. Until there's one part, and that's when I, in my head, I just seen the cabbie say, "Inconceivable," <laughs> and I, 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 you know that was that jumped into my head there, and I'm like, "This is the Princess Bride," <laughs> redone, you know. But it is, it's so tense, and the and the cabbie is really holding his own uh, acting wise with um with uh you know. Benedict Cumberbatch there, you know, and I, I don't know who the guy is or how much, you know, stuff he's in, but I'm sure he would, you know, tear some scenery up and some other things. But, uh, you know, he, he stands his own acting wise against him and he's, and he's right there and he's back and forth and you get, and they've got the dialogue going back and he's just toying with Sherlock's arrogance and curiosity and I'm smarter, you know, they're both trying to be the smartest guy in the room, which is inconceivable. <laughs> All I needed in that scene was for him to say at just one point that only one of those pills has iocane powder in it. I mean, that's that's all we needed. <laughs> that's all we needed was iocane powder. <laughs> Our next award is best character, and I'm going first, and so I finally get to say the right answer before we all agree. Um, it's Sherlock Holmes, um, and this is my absolute favorite version. Um, I mean, aside from the original stories, um, but Cumberbatch does just such a good job of bringing him to life, and he's just such a weird character. The weird from one moment, I mean, you and he seems kind of like you get where he's coming from. Maybe, maybe you can see your way to liking this guy. And then he's just a total, you know, gigantic whole bag of tools. And you're like, this guy, I know why he doesn't have friends. Because he's a jerk. <laughs> a completely insensitive, uh, no social skills jerk. Good luck with this, Watson. This is going to be hard on you. <laughs> but, it, but you see the brilliance and you see just the social clumsiness. And it's all rolled up into this just brilliant package. And so, yeah, I love this version of Holmes. Well, this is a really good version of Holmes, but I'm going a little sideways. I love the cabbie. Um, from the moment he showed up, you know, and, and you realize he he shows up, you know, at the, and they're like, oh, nobody notices him, you know, and, and that's what they do. You know, he's a guy who can hunt in plain sight. You know, he's he's one of these invisible people. You know, and he shows up just unassuming. Someone called a cab for you, and he goes in and he, and he convinces Sherlock to come with him without telling everybody else, hey, I did it, you know. He can he convinces Charlotte to come with him, and he toys with him all the way there. And he gets out of the car, and he's like, you know, you can come in. And Charlotte, you know, follows him up, and then they have the the interaction that, that and you know, for just a character to come out of nowhere and a no name, you know, just just the cabbie. Uh, I really thought his his character in this was very interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, th- that guy did a really killer job. Yeah, really, yeah. really made that character interesting. Yeah, and, and like we said, you know, Freeman is having to play opposite Cumberbatch in this role, but that cabbie in the, you know, kind of the, the penultimate moment that we build through in the entire, you know, the entire episode he has to hold his own against Cumberbatch also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if he wasn't a strong character, there's no way that scene would have worked, would have worked or been up. as compelling as we wanted it to be. All right. So best character, gentlemen. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, Cumberbatch is awesome. Yeah, the cabbie's great. Um, you know, I thought about throwing in Anderson in just for the fun of it, just to kind of make a joke. <laughs> um, you know, but... I actually went with uh, Deputy Inspector Lestrade. Um, he's really one of my favorite characters in this show. Um, you can tell that he's not exactly the biggest fan of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I mean, face it, any respecting inspector and police force probably would not like a civilian consultant t- telling him what they're doing wrong. Um, but he also realized Sherlock has this uncanny ability to use these deductive skills. But, and you get these great interactions. And one of my favorites, even though, you know, I, I think Lestrade feels hopeless at the beginning of it, but the scene in the apartment, when he kind of turns the tables on Holmes just a little bit where they're, they're doing the drugs bust, you know, he's kind of like, you know, they don't have to be here, but they chose to do it. You know, it shows you Lestrade can push back also. And I <laughs> loved that. Um, and there's just something about that that actor, I think, works so well in this type of scene. Um, so I, I went with Lestrade for mine. Yeah, I was glad he did have a little bit of, you know, pushback there or something to do. Because, you know, so much of this episode, he's just so bumbling. But like I said, I think... The, you know, seeing the actor interact in that situation, yeah, he can really pull his own and, and throw some weight around. Yeah, I, I think that's more true of the entire show versus the first episode. Yeah, good. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we get enough to. I, I, I think you're back feeling a little bit. <laughs> uh, you, you know too much to just see this version of Lestrade. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know this isn't. I know this isn't. You know, some of these characters. And that's one of the things that really bothered me. Yeah, and, and you you do get a lot more because Sammy is right. You'll you'll come to. He he does come off a little bit buffoonish at times, and and just this first pilot episode. But as the show unpacks, you 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 learn to respect Lestrade a lot more. And he's all in character that comes off at first glance. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, one thing that was missing in this episode that I didn't catch on. Maybe it was there in, a, in another form or somewhere, but I didn't hear the elementary dear Watson. And he said, no. and, he, and he said one of the lines wrong. He never said the game is afoot. He just said the game is on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of quotes that were missed, but guys, there's a quote we need to get. There's some quotes we need to get into, get some awards there for that. So I'm leading off on the quotes. My quote comes from the cabbie. You'll come because you want to know. That gives you Sherlock in a heart in 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 in, in a nutshell. You know he'll do anything because he wants to know. He has to know what happened. He has to know that he's the smartest. He has to know he's the best. He has to know what he did to convince those people to take that pill. You know, was it was it forced? Was it a game? Was it? You know, a trick. You know, how did he manage that? But yeah, you'll come because you want to know. You could have picked a lot of his. I mean, that script is golden for him. And his his line deliveries are so good. Yep. Well, you know, for me, my quote goes right back to that idea that, that Sherlock knows everything. I'm not a psychopath, Anderson. I'm a high functioning sociopath. Sociopath. Do your research. (laughs) And I love that line because I have a t-shirt that says I'm a high functioning sociopath with Sherlock on it. So. Uh, I went with another Sherlock one because he's got a couple of really good ones in here. And it's when he's explain is a scene where he's explaining things and nobody else is catching on. He just stops looking and goes, dear God, what is it like in your funny little brains? Yeah. So boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
those were great when he was called out. How do you people function? (laughs) (laughs) I almost went with that one, Jamie. Because that, when he was like, what, what, it must be so boring. You funny little brains. <laughs> well, oh. now we have some episode specifics uh, oh, coming on that. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see uh, what, what we think here. And Sam, you're leading up with the uh, best Arthur Conan Doyle to Modern Times update. The best kind of new thing introduced into Sherlock Holmes. All right. As far as updating, I kind of got to go back to to Watson. Um, You know, when you look at the original novels, and and I was similar to Jamie, I wanted to read Setting in Scarlet and dig it around to it, but I did scan the first page because I wanted to check something. In the original, Watson was an army doctor in the Afghan war. Mm -hmm. So... To be able to put it into modern times and take it into Afghanistan and what happened there, but also that struggle with PTSD. And, you know, Jamie talked about the psychosomatic ailments. You know, it makes Watson more well-rounded, a more empathetic character. Uh, he has more agency in this one that, that I think – other than just that chronicler or the doddering sidekick character, he has so much more agency. And to me, that was a great update, uh, even from the original novels to this show. I think it's an improvement. I mean, mm-hmm. I, this Watson is better than Doyle's Watson. I mean, I... Yeah, much more, yeah, much more well-rounded thought out, yes. And, and if you go back to, like I said, you know, I always talk about Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. I mean, Nigel Bruce is just as goofy as can be in, in those movies. I mean, he is literally the doddering old man, uh, kind of sidekick character. Uh, but I just, I don't know. Like I said, this version Freeman brings totally makes the character come alive. Uh, well, mine's another one. I, I think it's actually improved upon is I'm going, um, with the update of, to Mycroft. Um, Mycroft is kind of a ridiculous character. in the original stories. <laughs> And he's just not very interesting. Um, and he's just silly. But here, Mycroft is not just this weird guy hiding in a library from the world. Um, he's got his, you know, fingers in every pie in England. Um, and he's this, you know, kind of master planner. But he really cares for his brother. Um, and it's just, he, he's he's a more involved person with the world. Apparently is running all of England secretly. Um but it, but it changes the relationship with Sherlock. And I think it, in subtle ways, it, it improves the sort of the dynamic of the entire situation. And it makes things swirling around Sherlock even more interesting. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant character improvement, but it's also a world-building improvement. And so I, I love what they did with Mycroft for this series. Well, mine isn't necessarily a character or anything like that. I like the, uh, the introduction of cell phones into the, the the Sherlock storytelling. I thought it was very interesting, especially Sherlock's kind of aversion to them, but need for them. And how he's always aggravating Watson to use his, you know, or someone else's uh, because someone might recognize his number or some, you know, something odd, uh, you know, and, and he texts him to come like across all the way across London to, to come to <laughs> He's like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Can I use your phone? You know, <laughs> just so silly. But, uh, yeah, just that little introduction, you know, and I really would have liked to have seen more played out, like when you have the um, police debriefing there with the press, you know, the press conference, and they're talking, and, you know, all of the phones are texted wrong, you know, after Lestrade's uh, <laughs> statements, wrong, you know, I wish that would have been more of a thing that, that, you know, and, and maybe it, it becomes that later, but you, you might have a villain that, you know, that, that takes the technology and, and, you know, twist it a little bit that way. But, you know, for someone to have had the ability to do that right away in this, you know, I, I wish they would have been played with a little bit more in this story. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that now that can go that can go sideways because when you're updating something from the pre cell phone era to the modern era, how you how you bring 
Modern a day. lot of problems are automatically fixed. I mean, you know, so much stuff is a Google or a phone call away. Oh, we're stranded. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just call someone, you know? <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah. They nailed it. They, they got it right because it, it didn't go sideways. It made it made yeah. things more interesting. Like even even like well, I, I tried to get him to make a make a call. It's like I don't I prefer to text. Like it just it right. just or reveals his character, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think and I think his aversion to it really helps with that storytelling because it puts the limitations on that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Well, our last award is best detective moment, and this I think is probably the thing that this shows probably other than the cast, what it's most known for. And they don't bring in the most famous and probably controversial thing yet in this first episode. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it for Dwayne. Cause I hope he watches more. Um, but <laughs> I love when they're in the taxi and Sherlock Holmes starts, starts unpacking for Watson, how he knew all those things at the beginning of the episode, how he, how he, and and you can see this is our first glimpse of how his mind works and how his detective process works and how amazed Watson is. I love how that scene plays out, and it just shows us like yeah, this guy is the master of these deductive arts. You know, I just for me that's it's it's not the the flashiest you know moment in the episode, but like yeah, this this is how his brain functions. I just I love that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... You know, I, I think with me, you know, that that was a good one, and and I debated back and forth using that one myself. Um, but I also liked just the way the show kind of showed his reasoning when he was kind of breaking down and explaining the lady in pink. You know, with the words coming up, um, that combination of the visuals and the sound effects. You know. Plus Cumberbatch's weird mannerisms and stuff that that just kind of went along with it. You know, I mean, dirty, clean, dirty, clean. You know, that that kind of thing as it was focusing on the ring. You know, one of the things I I think I remember we talked about in um, the Downey Jr. movie was how, you know, it would that was a different way to show Holmes deductive abilities. And I think this show takes another direction on it. So it's kind of cool to see how they can do those things and be creative, I guess, with it every time. Yeah. Does that carry on throughout the show as causes he's observing things that like be named on screen sometimes? Does that carry on throughout the series? It does. And they introduce some other elements to show how mm-hmm. his how he how he deduces those things okay okay neat neat uh, well mine is a really odd moment because uh i know sammy took a you know mine for the woman in pink lane there you know how he was noticing the things about the body and the and you know the the dirty clean areas and all the stuff wet dry what whatnot but i love when he they they chase the cab down and and they think they've got it he goes in and he gets the the, the guy in the back seat and he says Oh, good, good teeth and, and tan. You're not, you're not from here. You know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just that immediate. You know, oh, you have good teeth in your tan. You know, okay, you're not from here. <laughs> just and, and dismisses him automatically. Just, just, just that quick little thing. Just, just cracked me up and has has kind of stuck with me uh, from the episode. I thought that was really, really neat. <laughs> yeah, just, just how his, that those observations. Uh, was so immediate and uh, the reasonings happen so quickly. It's like, Oh, okay, there you are. <laughs> but you know, someone who does have great teeth and is tan and would be a great villain addition to the, uh, Sherlock universe is Keanu Reeves. I don't think he was in the show hearing Jamie's exacerbation about trying to find a connection as we connect Keanu Reeves to Sherlock. A study in pink this week. Okay. Um, can I ask before I even begin? I need breaks. Here we go. Um, everyone has their favorite film magic user, right? For a lot of people, it's Merlin. Lots of different versions of Merlin. Everybody's got their favorite. Gandalf. I mean, come on. Ian McKellen is Gandalf. I mean, come on. Perfect. Um, got Scarlet Witch. We've got some new editions, right? We've got Scarlet Witch. We've got Harry Potter. Some throwbacks, that weird guy in Flash Gordon, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody has their favorite magic user. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch plays the title character of Sherlock, but more recently, he became Doctor Strange, the maybe foremost wizard in the MCU. The Sorcerer Supreme. All right, here we go. 
Keanu played, to the dismay and outrage of many, the magic user John Constantine in Constantine. Benedict Cumberbatch filmed magic is this week's extremely dodgy Keanu connection. <laughs> It's the best one so far. That's all I got. <laughs> That's the best one so far. <laughs> Outside of Cumberbatch and Freeman and Anderson, who was in like Rogue One for five minutes, I don't think anybody else in the show has been off the island. <laughs> and this was pre-quarantine. <laughs> Not even on holiday, folks. Not even on holiday. Um, no. <laughs> I, was war- I was wondering about this being a BBC production, you know, and... And, you know, with only Freeman and Cumberbatch as the quote unquote big names in this, you know, how, how Keanu would go this week. And, and um, the magic is is very, very great. And guys, I think this was a great episode of, of, a, of, a, of a really neat show that I really want to explore some more. And I hate that I missed it first time around, but thank goodness for streaming services. And, uh, you know, maybe I could, if nothing else, borrow it from the library or something. But that was our episode on Sherlock, A Study in Pink. Hope you all have enjoyed listening. You know, as you all may know, our podcatchers have changed. Our streaming services are not what they used to be. You used to be able to catch listeners with, you know, like hot terms, hot takes and things. Now, it's all about the numbers. So, we would like to ask each and every one of our listeners, tell somebody about this show. Spread the word. Spread the love. We have a ton of fun listening, you know, making this thing. I hope you have a ton of fun listening. Spread the love. Let somebody know. And, uh, you know, maybe we can spread this a little bit more around. But, uh, guys, next week, Sam. Oh, so my pick, gentlemen. So we're going from super sleuth to superhero as we look at the often mm, maligned 2011 movie Green Lantern. We get Wade Wilson as Hal Jordan. (laughs) We get other amazing cast members like Michael Clark Duncan and Mark Strong and even Taika Waititi. Shows up in this. So, guys, I guess it's time to see if we've got the willpower to wield Green Lantern's light. Or if the 26% on the tomato meter becomes our personal parallax. (laughs) Well, until then, (laughs) our completely CGI garbage-looking suits as we keep it nerdy. (laughs) 